Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and as always if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, uh, Joshy here, Manchester United fan. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Kev. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Doc underscore Joshy. Hello everyone, my name is Thomas Barth. I'm the editor of wolvesblog.com, website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at wolvesblog, uh, facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog, or on the website itself, wolvesblog.com. Hi, I'm Jake Newcastle fan. You can get me on uh, Twitter or X or whatever it's called hmm. uh, at Jake Jackal with two N's. Yeah, we all have a lot of built-up muscle memory on saying Twitter. Uh, that'll probably continue. But uh, until we all figure that out, we have football back to pay attention to. Obviously, the Premier League season has now indeed started. I just wanted to start by getting your guys' opinions on on that being the case. What did you miss most during the offseason? What was your favorite moment from match week one? And what do you think was the most surprising result? I have to be honest. Um, I didn't really miss the football. There was a lot going on that I, thought I, I actually could do at the break. It was one of those where there was a lot, lot of football, and then and then uh, and then sort of lots going on, and and then we went on holiday at the perfect time. So you know we we we've had a really good break, and uh, yeah, I thought oh, and then when when it when it sort of came to the preseason friendlies, are they are they already started again? It was like one of those where it, was just, <laughs> it just caught me by surprise. But actually, we all love football light. So now that the season's on, it's like, great. I've already been to the pub to watch the game. I watched a Newcastle game yesterday. Um, and actually, that was probably the uh, su- most surprising result, but not, not, not sort of surprising because Newcastle won, but maybe the manner of the win. I think, um, you know, I, I, I rated, I, I went to the Carabao Cup final last, last year and, uh, or last season, it was earlier this year. And I, I remember when, like, I rate Alexander Isaac massively. So, uh, you know, I was watching um, watching the game yesterday, and he's 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 like he's class, right? So, in that sense, not surprising because they've got some really really good individual players. Um, and that uh, Tonali looked good. Him and Bruno Grimaldi alongside each other will be will is is going to be a really good combination. Um, but yeah, but I think it was the the manner of it because of kind of Aston Villa have also sort of come on in the in the transfer window and the the form that they had last year under Unai Emery so yeah I, I would say that was my the most surprising result uh from the weekend but yeah always 
always glad that the the football's back, um, even if I actually probably didn't miss it during the summer. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think Joshy's stolen all my answers there. Really, they were all pretty <laughs> tallied quite closely with what I was going to say. Um, yeah, like the I think particularly being a Wolves fan. I found last season very stressful and demanding, so I was very happy for the break um, in that in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's great it's great to have it back. I really enjoy having football on the weekends. I enjoy watching as many of the games as I can sort of manage to fit in on the TV and you know match of the day, the highlights, all that stuff. But it's the it's the thing around your own football club that causes the the stress and the anxiety. Um, but I suppose on the flip side of that, what, what I do like about the game is that, you know, when you're worrying about football, it's taking up bandwidth and you're not worrying about other things in your life. So it's uh, it's good to have it back in that sense, because you can always compartmentalise it and feel like, um, you know, oh, well, football doesn't really matter. <laughs> so you're, you're worrying about something uh, less important. But um, but yeah, so it was. Uh, I, I wasn't sad to to go into that summer break. Um, I wouldn't say because of what Wolves have done over the summer. I'm particularly effervescent about going back in, but it, it's great to have it back generally. Um, and yeah, match week one. Um, what what was my favourite moment? Well, my favourite individual moment was the the moment of Roy Hodgson. I don't know if anyone else saw this, where the, the ball went out <laughs> in the Sheffield United game. And the, the guy tried to wrestle it back from him on the touchline and Roy just absolutely took off. He was not happy about it. Um, you know, seeing a guy in his mid-70s get that angry uh, with a player just trying to field the ball was was quite entertaining. So, yeah, Roy Rage, as they were calling it on um, Match of the Day last night, that was a, that's an early contender for moment of the season, I think, let alone uh, the first week. So, yeah, and... Most surprising result again, yeah. I think that the scoreline at St James's Park is the one that raises eyebrows. I mean, teams are going to get battered there all season. There's no no support. The intensity they play at and the, and the quality they've got that that's that's going to happen. But yeah, I think we would we all would have expected Villa to put up more resistance than they did there. Uh, not the manner of what Newcastle did. It's more how little Villa were able to kind of cope with that. Um, but yeah, outside of that. I'd say there were two results. Obviously, I I expected Arsenal to beat Forest, but I was surprised how how well you know Forest made a really good fist of it. Um, could have easily sneaked something at the end, so so they get some credit. And I suppose the other one that sticks out in my in my mind is the is Everton Fulham, which you know maybe maybe that's not a massive surprise that Fulham were able to go there and get a result. But I just really fancied Everton to start strong this season. I just thought at home, that's a decent fixture for them. They'll get the result. So I, I'm just you know surprised in a way that Fulham were able to go there and, and turn them over again um, and, and win that game. But from a Wolves perspective, that, that's very good because Everton are a team I expect us to be in and around in the table. So for them to to drop points in a winnable game, even in the first week, that that's... Um, that's a bonus from my perspective. Yeah, I sort of echo a lot of the the thoughts of Joshy and Thomas. I think the, the I think the I think the older you get, the 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 less you miss football during the the closed season. I think it's nice to have the break, and especially now the amount of games uh, and just sort of it's like the twenty four seven content driven stuff with football. It's nice to sort of switch off for a few weeks. Um, and yeah, obviously there's still stuff going on, but you can sort of take yourself away from that so that's been nice but it is, it is nice to have 
have the games back it you know gives you gives you something to do at the weekend when you got when you got you know when you when you got a spare minute there's always a game on which is good um and yeah it's it good to see see the premier league back um it's sort of it's sort of amazing how you know every everything they every new season they sort of say it's a fresh start for every team and then you watch all the games and you just think this is sort of reminiscent of what this team was last season anyway so it's sort of uh, a lot of the teams are sort of performing as they were you know Tottenham their fresh new start their new attacking football still still more or less the same when when the final whistle goes <laughs> um and with Arsenal as well all that money they spent and they were still sort of struggling in a home game against a team you'd expect them to sort of run out four or five nil against so yeah, it is amazing how it, every season is new, but you get a lot of similar themes that run through season by season. Um, the surprising result, there wasn't really um, that many surprising results this weekend. Um, obviously, the Newcastle won the manner of it. It was a little bit surprising, uh, even to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I do agree with that one. I, I agree with the Everton one as well. I thought Everton this year would be strong at home. Uh, I don't really rate Fulham that highly. I think they're sort of going to sort of regress a lot this season. Um, and I think if you watch the highlights, I didn't see the full game, but I'd, I'd imagine the full game was similar. It did seem like Everton were sort of hammering on the door, couldn't couldn't get couldn't get a goal. Sort of had a goal wrongly disallowed, and then Fulham but sort of burgled three points there. So that was a bit of a surprising result, sort of what I was expecting and on what happened on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I think you don't really get too many surprising results in Premier League these days. Every team is so strong and have good players that. Any team could beat anybody on their day. It's cliche, but it is true. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say that's the most surprising one. Um, and and I, I do agree with Thomas that sort of the way that Nottingham Forest sort of did fire Arsenal and, and, and made a real game of it was a real surprise because I think a lot of people were sort of seeing that to be a, a 3 4 Arsenal, um, a 3 or 4 0 Arsenal win first day of the season, really comfortable, and it did start that way. But yeah, at the end, they could easily have, have lost, a, lost a couple of points there. So yeah, but yeah, it's good to have the football back. Yeah, I'm I'm having that uh, reverse thing where last year was such a nightmare under Conte that even with Kane being sold, I was like, football, it's back. And I'm actually enjoying it now. Uh, but yeah, totally understand uh, uh, the need for a break, especially after obviously the World Cup in the middle of last year extended it well into May. I'm sure people will remember that like the Premier League ended in like a week and a half later. Some of the Burnley players returned to training. That felt insane. Um... Speaking of uh, Tottenham, though, uh, Harry Kane did indeed leave. Last week, the title of the episode was, Has Harry Kane played his last game for Tottenham? And the answer, ultimately, yes. Um, With him officially joining Bayern Munich on Saturday and already having played for them. No trophy as of yet, though. (laughs) I'm sure many people will be keeping an eye on that. But uh, I just wanted to ask the group, are you surprised that Kane ultimately opted to move to Bayern Munich this summer rather than having the opportunity to move on a free next year? Uh, well, I mean, I think all things considered, I'm, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I think it's got to the point where it's actually probably a bit too late, but, uh, you know, he, he's given Spurs a lot of the best part of his career. He's tried his best to sort of elevate. I mean, last season because of Haaland, his sort of, um, numbers went under the radar, but I think he bagged 30 goals didn't he, in the Premier League. So, you know, he's, 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 he's an elite level center forward and unfortunately he's not at an elite club. So, you know, it's got, it's. I think it's just got to that point. And to a certain extent, you know, he may also have been thinking, well, at least I can leave and Spurs get a hundred million, right? He might, that might be in his thinking mm. as well, instead of sort of screwing Spurs over. I don't know. Like that's obviously just pure speculation, but I think it is, it was about time. What's a, what's a little bit, maybe for him, 
he, he hadn't always banked on sort of going abroad, but it was just the 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 situation again that the that that you know the current environment, the market. There weren't any. Uh, I'm sure it would have ideally would have loved to have stayed in the Premier League and and won trophies, but City, you know, once they didn't sign him that summer, they've gone and got Haaland, so they're not going to sign Kane. Chelsea, you know, they're in a bit of disarray, so it's not a good move for him anyway. United were probably the only option realistically, but then we were priced out like early on and, and thankfully didn't get involved in the saga. So, you know, he's opened up his mind and, and he's sort of gone on and, and ultimately I think he's made a good choice. I mean, Bayern Munich, yes, you know, we didn't win the trophy last night, but I think overall they're at, uh, he, he, what, what they missed last season, uh, certainly in the Champions League was a top tier center forward. So him going there, I think he immediately sort of elevates that front line because of his ability and, and just how good he is. But he's put himself in the position to realistically challenge for the Champions League. And on an individual note, you know, if he was to fire them, if he was to score the goals that wins them the Champions League in the next few years, he's put himself in the running for Ballon d'Or territory as well, right? So imagine he bags 40, 50 goals, which is what Lewandowski was doing when he was there. And they go on and win the Champions League. He's like the difference maker in, in a semi-final final. So they want, you know, you can see him. He's in the running now for, for a Ballon d'Or. You don't have Messi in that conversation anymore. Benzema's not in that conversation anymore. Cristiano Ronaldo's not in that conversation anymore. It's wide open. So yes, you, he's going to probably not, he's not going to be able to come back and do the Premier League goal scoring record. But actually, you know, that's a sort of a little bit artificial because the top flight record is Jimmy Greaves. And also Haaland will probably beat that record in, 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 in double quick time. So I think it's a good decision. And I think, um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's about time. And hopefully I, to be honest, I've given him a lot of crap over the years just cause you know, football banter and whatnot, but I think, I hope he does really well. I think, I think, I think he can go and, and, and really, I, I like it when players go abroad and, and play in different leagues uh, like Bellingham is currently doing in Madrid. So yeah, I hope he does well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, the good thing for me is I disagree with nearly everything Josh has just said there. So I've got some fresh, I've got some fresh things to say this time, other than uh, to say that um, I hope he does well. You know, good luck to him. He's a good, he seems like a good guy and excellent pro, fantastic player. You know, I hope he goes and achieves everything he wants to achieve out there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm surprised he went. I just, I just can't believe he resisted the temptation to be on a free transfer next summer when he would have had proposals from every single team um, in, you know, well, every elite team in Europe. I can't believe there would be any top team that wouldn't have made um, an approach to try and sign him. So I'm surprised he was able to resist that. I do think the the Premier League record has a lot of, um, I don't know, merit. I think I think that is worth something. It's it's something that's constantly touted about. It's something that's always talked about when you're mentioning Alan Shearer's name. Um, I think I think that would have mattered to him. And I actually do think he will be of the belief: I can go to Bayern Munich for three, four years. Um, I can come back to another English club then, and I can still get this record. It probably needs, you know, if he's if he's winding down, he probably need between three and four seasons. And I think. How- Harry's the type of player who, who could probably play into his late thirties because he's not a, you know, running behind pace guy. He's a, you know, works off intelligence and shooting. So if he looks after himself, he, he I think he could, he could have it all. But I'm surprised he's gone to Bayern. I mean, 
The only way that will be perceived as a good move from anyone in England, and you know, this is disrespect to the Bundesliga, so I apologise. Um, the only way it will be perceived as a success is if he wins the Champions League. If he wins the Champions League, fair enough. He's gone there and he's, he's, he's done that's an incredible trophy. There's no merit to winning the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. You know, that, that's just the way it is now. That's not, it, it, it's, a, it's a title and you'll say, you know, he, he won the, he won it and, you know, he's a champion of Germany, but that, it just, it doesn't hold, it doesn't hold sway, I'm afraid. Not, not, not in the eyes of myself and not in the eyes of, I think, a lot of um, football fans. If he'd gone to, um, Borussia Dortmund and he'd won the title with Borussia Dortmund, you know, that would be, but I think Bayern have got such a vice-like grip on that, on that league. And I know you can make comparisons with City because of the number of times they've won it, but I do think it's different because I, I genuinely feel there's a greater depth of competition in the, in the Premier League. Um, you know, so, so in the, in terms of how he's viewed in the UK, he, he'll need to win the Champions League and he'll need to win, um, you know, maybe some individual, honours for that 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 move to be viewed as a success but um but yeah you know best of luck to him um i hope he does well and i I hope he gets he will i suppose be able to say he's won a trophy and that and maybe getting that monkey off his shoulder is 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 worth it no matter what what trophy he wins so um good luck to him yeah it's it's, the, the one thing i would say against why why you wouldn't have waited for a year is he is now 30 you know, things can happen in, in a footballer's career. He might pick up a serious injury this year. You know, you can't always guarantee what's going to happen in 12 months' time. Um, you know, there's a, bit, a very good chance that Thomas is right and he would have had all, you know, the pick of the club. He would have been coming off the back of another 25-30 goal season. But it doesn't always work that way. Um, and I think if he was maybe 27-28, he, he doesn't make that move to Bayern. But I think he's probably looked at it and thought, you know, how much longer am I got at the very top level? It might only be another two or three years. Do I want to have another year at Tottenham where I'm not playing in the Champions League and I think that's probably the driver I think if he was a couple of years younger he would have waited I just think it's that age for him now that he you know he, he's a tough player that could go on to play until he's 37 38 to a very high level but there's no guarantees of that and you know, he could have injuries had injuries in the past you, you just don't know what's going to happen so I can understand why he's gone for it and and, and I think if, if he's being honest to himself he's probably only got another two or three years at, at tops at the very elite level, you know, it, it's a it's a big gamble to sort of, wait, you know, quote-unquote waste another one of those. Um, and I think maybe he thought in his own, you know, heart of hearts, if he stayed at Tottenham for another year, with it running down, maybe he would have been convinced to extend it. And I think maybe mm-hmm. he thought, this is my opportunity to go. I've got the offer there. You know, I've got, I'm going to a, a club that is going to be competing at the, the business end of the Champions League. I, it, it is a club that's going to win trophies. It's also a club that if he does well there and he scores the amount of goals he's scoring for Tottenham and he wins things, he could win a Ballon d'Or at Bayern Munich. He's never going to do that at Tottenham. could very easily happen at Bayern Munich. We saw Lewandowski was, was probably going to win the year when, when they didn't award one during COVID. Yeah, yeah. So it's very much in, in, in Kane's abilities to get a Ballon d'Or while he's at Bayern. I don't think it's possible at Tottenham. So there's a lot of pros to the move. Um, so I can see why he's done it. I think mainly it's it's that age he's at now and just that opportunity to move to a, a, a really, really big club. Um, and you've seen the way he's been received over there. He, he is going to be, he's not going to have quite the same relationship, but I think he's going to be very, very respected. And if he scores the goals, he's going to very quickly be loved and, and sort of be brought into that sort of buying institution. And, and it is quite an attractive one for a player. Um, so yeah, I can see why he's done it. Um, 
he's probably looked at where Lewandowski got to while he's at Bayern and probably thinks he could probably get to similar levels. And although in England we do rate him as one of the best strikers in the world, um, I still don't think he's got that complete respect across Europe. Um, so, yeah, I think he's definitely going to get that now. So I, I can see why he's done it. Um, I, I think Bayern probably wouldn't have been his, his top move of choice, but it's the move he had offered to him. And it seems from a lot of the stuff I've read that he he's wanted to leave Tottenham for, for a couple of years now. And he's been pretty set in that decision. He's never wavered. He's never sort of been convinced to sign that extra couple of years contract, even when it was going well under Conte. It does seem like this is something he's wanted. Uh, and it's just the first time he's had the chance. It's probably come later than he would have wanted. And he's just thought, right, I've got to go for it now. If I don't go for it now, maybe it will never happen for me. So I, I can see where he's done it. And I do think he's got a great chance of getting those individual honours as well as getting team honours. So I can I can definitely see why it's done it. Yeah, a lot of really good points from you. This wasn't in the rundown, just kind of a, a quick poll. Will I, any of you watch more Bundesliga matches because Kane is there? Uh, I probably will, but I get the Bundesliga, because I live in Switzerland, it's all here and blasted in um, in my face anyway. So we And my son <laughs> is obsessed with football, so we've got... We've just always got football on. The other day he was watching a replay of Motherwell, Motherwell versus Hibs or some some oh, real wow. weird match. Yeah, just because it was the only football on TV. But yeah, I'll probably stick that on. Like he was, he watches Al Nasser now because Cristiano Ronaldo plays there, right? So he'll stick this on because obviously Kane's at Bayern Munich. So yeah, short answer. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I would seek out. To go and watch more Bundesliga matches, but certainly if I came, if I happened across, uh, you know, a Bayern match on the TV, I would probably be more likely to carry on watching it to see to see how Harry Kane's doing. So I suppose yes and no is probably my answer. Um, I think I probably would. Yeah, I probably would watch more Bayern Munich because of Kane. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I was just really curious because it seems like while he was at Spurs, there was like a lot of hate directed his way. Uh, obviously, missed penalty and the. Uh, glanced header, swearing on his daughter life moment. There's just been like a lot of weird moments that it seems like neutrals haven't really supported him. But I have been wondering this because uh, a lot of people have been talking about how like the Bundesliga is a step down in terms of audience and in, in theory importance. Um, and I'm wondering if part of the idea is that he will draw the eyes to the league and that he's been kind of sold that as the idea. Um, but yeah, really curious to see, uh, you know, as we see viewership figures, if Bundesliga or Bayern matches do indeed go up. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was that I uh, sent a drunken tweet <laughs> earlier this week that was received in a very mixed way from Spurs fans. But basically, a lot of the narratives around Harry Kane being sold have been people basically framing it as though Kane is a victim, that, that Tottenham have failed him and that they never got him any trophies and that he just should have kind of been along for the, the ride. And obviously there have been mistakes made along the way. But um, Tottenham basically gave up their entire recruiting uh, structure and their ability and willingness to draw from the youth ranks and brought in Mourinho and Conte. All of that felt to me like the club trying to go for it, trying to maximize the remaining potential of Pochettino's squad with Kane and Son and Lloris and Dyer and Davis to an extent. Um, and so I was just kind of wanting an external opinion on this as I get shouted from both sides of Spurs fan base. Do you think that it was a failure of Tottenham that it ever got to this point where Harry Kane wanted to leave and ultimately was sold? I don't think you can call it a failure. I mean, I think 
it, it, Tottenham have failed to win trophies, but it's not that they've failed him per se. He's getting paid very well. You know, they try, everyone has a strategy now. You know, the aim is to win trophies. That's what they wanted to try and do. It, it, they didn't put a good plan in place. And maybe in that sense, they failed, you know, but they failed everyone at the club, not just just not just Harry Kane. As good as he, he is as an individual and the elite talent that he is, it's, you know, it, it's a team game, right? And I, I just wouldn't characterize it as they failed him. It, I think it's, you know, like you say, they've put in place various strategies, managers, et cetera, to try and get that success. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know that I'd characterize it that way because ultimately, you know, he could have left two years ago. He could have pushed for that move to City, right? Uh, and and I don't know the ins and outs of the, the, the story, uh, the sort of what they did behind the scenes to convince him to stay, aside from obviously a massive contract and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, for me, it's a weird way to sort of characterize the situation to say they failed him because ultimately he's one player in a, in a, in a large squad and you're playing against, you know, there are other clubs obviously going for these trophies and titles. Mm. So, you know, you want the best players to try and do that. And, and the idea would have been, look, Harry, you're, you're banging in goals every year. You're our best bet of winning a trophy. And from his perspective, he probably was desperate to win a trophy with his boyhood club. You know, he's been there since, what, 11 years old? You know, so, you know, I think it's on both sides. He certainly hasn't failed Spurs. He's done his bit. But the other side of things, you know, it's more of a, it's more like the club overall probably, you know, it, it, it has failed and, and the fan has, has failed the fans and whatnot. But I wouldn't sort of say there's a specific onus on the club to to have made sure that Harry Kane wins a trophy. Um, but I can see kind of why, you know, people might sort of characterize it that way. And 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 because he may have stayed, like if Tottenham had picked up a couple of trophies, he might have stayed and, and gone for that Premier League record and, and all that kind of stuff. So but these are all sort of, you know, what ifs. I think overall he's he's given Spurs a lot and I think people should be happy for him and wish him well. And And yeah, that's... Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, as an outsider, obviously you're inside it, Kev, you Tottenham fan, but I view it as you've got, on one hand, you've got Kane, who's a Tottenham guy, and on the other hand, you've got Levy, who is this notoriously fierce financial negotiator guy. And I think it seems like the sympathy towards Kane and angst towards Tottenham because it feels like Tottenham have kind of squeezed him on because they know he's loyal and they know he's a good pro and he's going to kind of toe the line. He's not going to really throw his toys out of the pram and force through a move. Um, I just think there was a feeling in the football community that that move to Man City two years ago should have been allowed to happen. Um, Tottenham obviously mm -hmm. had a player in the contract and it was it's always refreshing, I think, to see a a team fight tooth and nail to, to do that. But I think even two years ago, there was a feeling like he'd kind of, he was at a point where that move should have been allowed to go because Tottenham clearly weren't going to invest enough money to build a team that would enable him to, to go to the next level with Tottenham. So it was kind of a feeling either make Tottenham better. Um, and, and yes, they did do that in terms of the managers they brought in. But the, the other side of that is they didn't really back those managers to the level either of those managers would have wanted 
um, to, to get the club to the level they wanted. I think both, if you ask Mourinho and Conte, both of them would say, yeah, you know, I, I came with a view to winning, but then actually the players I wanted in the market, we just weren't able to get because of the how the club is structured and their, their recruitment policy. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's those two things that shape the narrative, you know, that, that Kane was kind of almost held hostage um, you know, by his own loyalty as much as anything, because he wasn't prepared to come out and really push through for a move. Um, and 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 yeah, you know that that that. I think that was the the, the tipping point was was that summer where he, he didn't go to City, followed by two more years of, of fairly, you know, mediocre returns for Spurs. That that just kind of felt like it's it's dragging on a lot too long now. It, it should have been finished. So I just think there's a relief from the football community and probably Tottenham fans, um, if if you're honest, that that this saga is just over now and it's not something else that's just going to be hanging over the club. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. I think I think the thing with this Kane situation is I don't think Tottenham have done anything bad for him. I think they've been a a very competitive team in Europe and and domestically throughout his time there. I just think that Kane has just developed into a, an elite player, and Tottenham are just not not at that level. And that's nothing against Tottenham. It's very difficult to get to that level. There's only a, a handful of clubs in the world that are at that level. So the moment you've got a player that that considers themselves at that level, they're always going to be be wanting to leave or you know it's difficult to to sort of raise to their standards uh and, and if you're Tottenham as well as the players developed you're going to want to keep them around and for Kane he, he obviously likes playing for Tottenham I think I think we're in I think we're he's now he's been unfortunate in just the time he's played his football in, in that when he's when he came through sort of you had that Bale situation where, where Bale felt he got too big for Tottenham and the finances were at a point then that Premier League clubs so when a player wanted to leave, you sort of had to do it. Like Manchester mm. United did it with Cristiano Ronaldo, Spurs did it with Bale, um, you know, Chelsea did it with Hazard. It, it happened. Um, Liverpool and Coutinho. But I feel like in the last couple of years, especially the last two or three years, the Premier League clubs, even the ones near the bottom of the table, have just got so much money and just that infrastructure that they don't have to sell players. And I and I think that it's sort of caught players and agents by surprise. They can really dig their heels and they don't have to move players on. Um, and they just don't, they just don't have to consider it because they've just got so much money. It's just it's it's not even it's not part of the plan. Um, obviously, sometimes with FFP you want to trade a player, but you don't have to. Um, and we see it. You know, teams like Crystal Palace they get to, they keep a lot of players that, that that wanted to leave. Wilfred Zaha, you know, the best example. And I think we're gonna. Sit, I think I think for a period the players maybe have too much power in pushing for moves. And I think we've now pushed the needle the other way, where the clubs have too much power in keeping older players that. That kind of want to leave. I think Kane probably regret signing that contract that he signed, but he regrets it in hindsight just because of the way the football was developed. I don't think he would have regretted it at the time. He would have seen it as a bad move. But he just sort of tied himself down so much that he put all the power on Tottenham's hands. And I think we're going to see in the coming years players just really switch on from that. We've seen players this transfer window turn down moves to clubs because they haven't been able to get release clauses. I think we're going to see shorter contracts. I think we're going to see release clauses. I think we're going to see so much more. In pl- that players and agents do to sort of protect themselves against these situations. I don't think it's, it's Tottenham's fault. I think it's, it's going to be a, just a natural development. I think we're going to see it with, you know, players that you might think now, uh, one at my club, Bruno, Bruno Gamera, he's in, he's in talks for a new contract. I can't see him signing a new contract that commits himself to Newcastle for a long period of time without there being some sort of break clause. Uh, I just think this is going to be the standard thing. Um, and I think it's, 
you know, it's just the way football's going. But I think Kane's just been a victim of signing a contract and just playing his football at the wrong time where he, he's just been stuck. Um, I don't think he's been unhappy, but he's just he's just not had that opportunity to progress maybe when when in a previous era he would have done. Yeah, and I do think he progresses as an individual player. Obviously, the shift to being playmaker and striker under Mourinho and Conte led to great personal uh, success. But yeah, I, I do think ultimately he just really wants to win a trophy. And as you said, this was kind of his first opportunity to to take that up. Uh, also, uh, just you mentioning release clauses and shorter contracts. I'm really surprised it's a four-year deal with like no whisper of a buyback or a release clause involved. Does he think he's coming back at 34 and still going to be able to beat Shearer like 34 to age 37? I think he's a Bayern Munich and more likely to sell him on. <laughs> I think that's probably what he's thinking. He's probably mm. right. He's probably seen Mane. There's been other players. I just think that Bayern Munich are more likely to, to sell him on than Tottenham ever were. And it, when you get to it to the final year or two, normally you can get out of the club. I don't know. I think it depends how it goes, right? Like if he's if he's really hitting the ground running, banging goals, whatever, in in the in at Bayern Munich and picking up. You know the champions they're getting to champions league finals and things like that i think why would he he'd probably want to do that more and more right i think i think once he's tasted that kind of i've lifted a trophy he's not gonna be like oh i'm done now i'm gonna go back to the premier league i mean you they want to continue doing that that's the nature of this level of athlete right it, you don't get to his level by without that inner kind of competitive streak so if he's picking, even if it, you know he's picked up the Bundesliga, they're, they're going to have tough games. He's going to score goals. He's, he loves scoring goals, and if he's the guy that does that and and they win a title, he's going to get that feeling. Maybe everyone else at Bayern Munich won't get as big a feeling because they've won eleven in a row, but he will. And then there's that Champions. If they hit a Champions League final, I think it will all depend on how you know that that side of things progresses. Because if he goes there and he's just scoring goals and they actually they don't win titles and stuff. Then it's like okay, this is he's wasted his time, and he may actually move back after two years, right? If the, but if they're not picking up or progressing to the end of the so into the Champions League final piece, then that that might be a might be something that he goes. Oh, I'm going to go back at 32, and at least I'll pick up that Premier League record. I don't know, but I think I think he's going in there. He looks committed. I think it shows commitment, and and I, and you know I, I, I he could come back at 34, but I don't think that's in his mind right now. You can't do that. You need to. He's again at this level. You've got to be focused on what's in front of you. He can't be thinking, "Ooh, I'm just going to pick, do what I do here, and then come back and, and get the record." I think he's thinking, "I'm going to come here and absolutely do what I've done, but at an elite level, and at an elite level, but that that requires the same or even more focus now because it's a new league, a new team, a new club." So yeah, I think he's there, and hopefully he goes and and, and tears it up. I think he's desperate, desperate, desperate for that Premier League record. I don't, I don't think there's any. I don't. I, I think don't underestimate that. Don't think it's like it's an aside. He will want that record, and he will. But I think I think in his head again because he's an elite guy, and I've seen lots of interviews with him. Um, I think he will back himself to play until he's thirty-seven, thirty-eight, win what he wants to win wherever he goes, but eventually come back, whether it's with Tottenham or it's another Premier League club smash in 50 goals, get the record and retire happy. That that will be his plan and he will have that mapped out in his head. So that that will be, it's not a case of he's like, 
oh yeah, I'll, I'll go and I'll go and do that, and I'll just see where it takes me. He will have that objective um, in his head. I think he's had to weigh up, obviously. Um, do I care about the record more than I care about winning trophies? You know, full stop. Wider things, and he's probably reached the conclusion that no, I you know I want I want those things more than I want the record. But he does want that record. So you know, I think if he knocks off a league title in a Champions League with Bayern in the next year or two, um, it really won't, wouldn't surprise me if he's then angling for that move back to uh, a top Premier League club where he'd still be considered a top quality asset. You know, so um, that would be my view on it. Anyway. Gotcha. All right, well, we'll wrap on it there. And folks at home, don't worry. I, I don't see much reason for us to keep bringing up Kingdom Future. I know it was kind of a big part of the last two shows, but really appreciate your guys' uh, perspective on that. And maybe I'll stop getting yelled at so much on Twitter slash X. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. All right, Josh, we'll start off with you talking about Manchester United. Uh, still yet to play this weekend, but plenty to discuss nonetheless. Uh, we'll start off with the less pleasant of the two, which is the Mason Greenwood situation. Obviously, uh, news came out this week that they're consulting with women's footballers and, and some other people before trying to make a decision on, on whether or not to reintegrate him into the side. Uh, some people kind of view that as pushing off the responsibility from themselves. Um, but was just curious your thoughts on, on that entire narrative and, and what you think the ultimate decision may be. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's gone on too long. And this idea that they're consulting players who are at the World Cup now, like the women players who are at the World Cup and uh, to sort of help their final decision. I think that's ultimately, if that is exactly what's happened, I think that's disgraceful. Like they've had a long time to have had that consultation, right? It's It's been like months and months since the sort of charges were dropped. Um, and, and so, but I think what I saw actually was this, this has been reported incorrectly, but I, where actually what they've done is they've made a decision they want to inform those players of that decision. 
that so that that side of things that's happened this week, there's a little, a little little bit blurred in terms of what exactly has happened. That being said, they haven't sort of controlled the way the message has gone out well, and and the, these players have been thrown under the bus to a certain extent, not just by the club but also reporters. They know exactly what they're doing. Like they've named the players that whatever. So now these these women have been targeted on social media by a, a section of fans who you know want Mason Greenwood back and, and playing at the club. Now, let's talk about that whole thing, right? I think for me, it's a simple th- dis- decision in terms of where morally whether he should play for the club again. And I, I definitely not, right? He is, there is this, um, you know, he's a footballer. It's, it's a privilege. You know, he's not, it's not like a, a, you know, the ability to play football is a privilege and the ability to be paid to play football is a massive privilege and to do it for Manchester United, you know, biggest club historically in, in you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, et cetera. You know, I think there's people forget that this isn't like, he hasn't got a right. There's no like God, like right for him to do that. So he, we should also be taking that stand. And we all heard and saw what, um, heard the recording, saw the pictures. Now, yes, the charges have been dropped, but that doesn't mean he's innocent. That doesn't mean he didn't do what it, what we, you know, what he was accused of doing. There are a lot of reasons why um, the charges can get dropped. Now, again, we don't know the ins and outs of what exactly happened, but we do know what we heard and saw. So I think that all of these things need to be taken into account. But I'm, what I'm not saying, though, and this is, I think, really important, I'm not saying the club should just cut him loose and then crack on. I think there's a duty of care not just to him, but to his partner now, I think they're married now and they've got a child so that he is some, he's young, right? And, and he, there is still an ability to learn as an individual, like everyone, I'm not saying this is just a mistake where he's sort of, I don't know, gone drink driving or something like that. This is huge, but I think there is a duty of care for protection of potential future victims, let's say, um, so, you know, an education program, counselling, psychological support, that kind of stuff, not with a view to reintegrate him into the club, with a view to sort of protect, you know, to, to make sure he doesn't do it again, to, to be quite frank. And, you know, his partner is safe and his child grows up in a healthy environment. So, you know, people are saying he should be sent off to X, Y, Z on loan and, and sold to this club in, in a foreign country or whatever. I, you know, I've seen that being touted i'm like kind of going well this is that that for me is again not a an ideal situation someone like him in terms of what he's done he's clearly not a stable person right he's there's something you know that what he did was you know un, you know you're it, it's just like the most normal people don't wouldn't think that way right so there's something there where if you've if, if you let's say you cut him loose he it makes him stressed out, angry, resentful, bitter. And then he just, you know, that anger is taken out on whoever's in front of him. Similarly, send him out to Turkey on loan and whatever. I think it's not a simple situation. And then there's the legal side of things. And now this bit, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I have worked with employment lawyers as it, within my own work within the UK. You can't just cut someone loose, right? There are ways in which his lawyers will try and protect him or he wasn't found guilty and 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 all that kind of stuff and now you've done this to him you've impacted future earnings you know th- there may be that kind of discussion to be had so I, I do sort of sympathize with the club to a certain extent but 
when you boil it all down, the only reason they haven't sort of made the decision that they should be making is, which is, you know, to say he's not getting back into the United team, but we're going to help and support him. I think that has to be part of it. But the only reason they've not done that is because he's a hundred, 150 million pound asset. In the current climate, if he was still playing and at the level that we we could see his trajectory going, he's a 150 million pound asset, right? He's a top talent. If this was, um, I'm not I'm not going to put a name on it because it would be unfair. But if this was a fringe player, I everything I'm saying would still be true. Other like in terms of how the club should handle it, but it would be done and dusted. They would have done that a long time ago, right? So for me, this is a really poor response from the club it's a really um i mean there's so many things to be said about if he comes back into the team like what does that say about what we you know what we um like role models you know we don't we talk about footballers as role models so what does it say about like the club and what it accepts and i do think that there is um for him on a personal level it shouldn't just be oh he's done the rest of his life should be shitty right we he but the the you know, you hear about ex-convicts who maybe go come out and they sort of help others through their own work and and they, you know, because they're rehabilitated, they, they educate others. But the difference is he's not faced any real consequences aside from not playing football, right? Which is not a true, genuine consequence. So I think there there is, we should have this, we shouldn't just have this idea that, oh, he's done and dusted and that's it. What a disgust. I mean, it is disgusting what he's done, but we should allow this kind of support and education to, so that to protect him and others, right. To, to get him to a point where he understands what he's done and, and, and whatever, not with a view to reintegrate him. Right. Cause I know, I know I might get some stuff sent to me on Twitter if people hear this, but with a view to actually just, you know, he, we're in, he's a high profile person. It's an opportunity for the club to really show what they mean and then from there once he's got that kind of i don't know i don't know how you endorse it or whatever but once he's sort of got to that point then you sort of say look it's time for you to go to and build your career okay you've done this you you've sort of this is your support structure this is your wife support structure or whatever go and do it but i don't think the club are doing that and it's it's just one of those where you he shouldn't play for the club again but i don't think it's as simple as cut him loose you know get rid of him and that's it done and dusted mm. yeah i think that's a dangerous dangerous thing to do yeah um something that is less emotionally troubling uh is uh we talked in june about what your summer would look like how many transfers you might bring in stuff like that uh and ultimately we decided that it would be determined based on which of the potential buyers uh bought manchester united uh, and it's August, and that still hasn't happened yet. Uh, have you felt the impact of a lack of clarity of ownership uh, throughout the summer, and or do you think this will be resolved at all soon? So the ownership stuff, I have no idea. It's kind of gone back and forth. It feels like the Glazers are just trying to squeeze every last, it's funny, every last billion out of whoever wants to own the club. Uh, but actually, it hasn't, it doesn't feel like it's impacted the transfer strategy, although I may I have like my own doubts about individual picks, but it it feels like um, you know like we're getting rid of players, we're, we're getting okay fees, where you know we've we've addressed like probably the three most important areas of the team in terms of position. I'm again like I say individual personnel, that's a different conversation. 
So I think actually all that uncertainty at the beginning of the summer, which I thought would impact the way in which we operate, it's been pretty, it's not been that bad. It's been pretty kind of not a lot of drama. Once, once a player has kind of been identified, we would get, we've sort of got them over the line. We're selling players who are fringe players, not going to be in the team. And, and there's probably a few more to go. Harry Maguire, potentially Scott McTominay. So there's money, like from an FFP perspective, some good deals happening there. Um, so yeah, I think overall, I think this is Ten Hag's influence. Like the strategy is there. Um, so yeah, from that side of things, it seems okay. I think we may end up doing a little bit more business. Again, I don't know about the individual personnel. personnel. Like we've just linked, been linked with Pavard. I, he seems a bit of another underwhelming signing, but you can see what he's looking for. It's like a per- versatile defender to play in the middle and at right back potentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think overall strategically it's all going quite well. Um, I'm excited to see Hoyland. I, you know, he's a young kid. I don't expect him like these comparisons with Haaland, I guess natural on a purely superficial level because he's tall, blonde and Scandinavian which is ridiculous, obviously, because Haaland is the best, probably the best player in the world right now. And this this is a 20-year-old kid who scored 10 goals in Serie A last season. So I think, but I'm excited to see him because we lacked a proper number nine. And we did, we finished third last year and won a trophy, got to another final with that, with initially Cristiano Ronaldo up top, who was just not scoring goals, and then Veghorst and intermittently Martial. So having just somebody who is an out-and-out nine in, and then with pace and, and power, I'm really excited about that. And, um, yeah, Onana, I think, is a, we'll see how that goes. I don't know a lot about him, but he looks really good with his feet. And Mount is the one that I'm really underwhelmed by. And But, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But overall, strate- the strategy seems to be being played out quite nicely, and the ownership situation doesn't seem to have affected that. Um, and we'll see what happens. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, you definitely have uh, gotten in some talented players. Obviously, Fred departing as well. So it does seem like business as usual while you wait to see who takes charge there. Uh, Thomas, we'll come to you now to talk about Wolves. And tell me if you've heard this story before, but Julian Lepetegui, the week that a competition starts, has left his role as manager. It's weird that it's happened twice. Um, what is the story behind why this has all happened at Wolves? I mean, we've, we've talked over the last few months that there was kind of some stuff bubbling under the surface, but why do you think it finally came to a head? And why do you think it came to a head the week that the season was supposed to start? Well, his his version of events is that he was told when he joined in January that he would be given a certain uh, budget to spend in the summer on recruitment. He was then told after keeping us up, he was going to be given a significantly reduced uh, budget to uh, to build the team. And um, he eventually got on board with that. And then he was told um, during pre-season that he was basically not going to be given any budget uh, to sign players. And uh, yeah, and, and, and that's the reason why he said he, you know, broken promises um, from, from the club and the board. And that, that's his version of events. And then apparently after one of the pre-season games, he said to the the board that he was he was going to leave, but he would hang around until they found someone else. And and then that led to them interviewing candidates and finding Gary O'Neill. And that's why it all switched over within a day. Unfortunately, it's one of those situations where only the club and um, Julian Le Petit, um 
know the the reasons and know the truth and the and the information um it is somewhat surprising. I mean, my my view on it is that he could have stayed with the with the squad that was there and tried to make it work. I I don't think it's as bad. He he a lot of his sound bites kind of suggested that we had Luton Town squad, and I don't think that's the case. I think we've we've let go of a lot of players, and even though we haven't brought any in, um, the squad is naturally too bad. We've got a couple of players who are out on loan who've come back. We've got a couple of long term injuries who've come back. My view is he, if if he'd been a decent coach, he would have he would have stayed and and tried to make it work and enhanced his reputation through, you know, through through taking an average squad and and, and doing a good job this season. But um, you know, that's my view. I think his his aspirations were to be in the top half of the Premier League, and he, he didn't think that he he was backed by the club to to do that so he, he wants to move on and I suppose that's the only narrative that anyone's put together so I suppose we have to assume that that's the truth interesting yeah it's a it's a very weird situation but it did seem like he was pretty demanding and we talked about on Twitter a little bit about how he can be kind of Conte-esque in that way of like I demand to get these things and if he doesn't get them and it throws up a fuss I I guess even in that version of events it's nice that that the bridge was kind of connected to, to Gary O'Neill that that's you know Simply, but certainly, certainly an odd situation. Uh, you also mentioned some players uh, kind of coming and going. The, the two that I want to note uh, outgoing, Adama and Jimenez both ending up at Fulham. Uh, and then today's news, uh, not an incoming, but a staying, Kilman agreeing to a contract extension and, and being captain. What did you make of, of those ones in particular? Um, I suppose it's, it's a bit surprising that Raul and Adama have ended up at Fulham. Um, when they were ripping it up for Wolves in the Premier League a couple of years ago, I never would have thought their next destination would have been would have been Fulham, particularly as I think Fulham were relegated at the end of that um, season. So it's um, it's kind of a mixture of a testament to Fulham coming back and a bit of an indictment on those players. Their levels have kind of you know dropped a bit. They're not there. I think we had the best years out of those players. I'll be surprised if they go on and do better at Fulham. I think they're good, okay, you know, Premier League players, and I, I'm not saying they won't do a good job at Fulham, but I'm a bit surprised. I thought Fulham might have had slightly loftier ambitions having done well last season, but maybe they'll turn out to be shrewd players. I mean, they've got them both for five million because Adama was a free and Raul Wolves just wanted to get his wages off the books. So, um, you know, they've, they've paid very little next to nothing. So they could turn out to be very good acquisitions for Fulham and they've been great players for Wolves. So good luck to them there. Um, I think it's important that we retain Max Kilman. Uh, apparently, the club turned down thirty million pound offer from Napoli in the summer, suggesting he's quite a good player. And um, yeah, I think I think there was a. It was important that he's our captain now, and uh, I think we needed some solid ground. You know that the supporters, especially, need to feel that there's some spine to this team. So I think I think retaining Max Kilman. Um, it is an important one. So, um, so yeah, so that that's good. And as I say, that even though we barely signed anyone, um, I think two important things have happened. We've got Sasa Kalajnik back, who who we signed for fifteen million pounds last summer. Um, he's going to be important because he gives us a proper focal point in attack, yeah, a big tall striker. And then obviously Fabio Silva spent a successful year out on loan at uh, Anderlecht and PSV. And hopefully, you know, he can come back. So we've got more options um, up front than we, we probably had last season. I think we were holding on a bit with Diego Costa, you know, 
and and, and Raul Jimenez, who, who you know struggled to come back after that injury. So I think we've kind of got some fresh impetus up front, which is a a plus point, you know, in what's been a difficult preseason. Gotcha. We'll certainly hope uh, that that all works out for you there. Uh, Jake, we'll come to you now uh, to talk about Newcastle, who you may have seen uh, have been uh, pretty uh, doubted by a lot of the publications and and personalities that predict Premier League tables. Um, But uh, obviously, then you go out and you have just such a resounding win in your first match. Do you think uh, people will have kind of calmed on to the fact that you may just be good again this year? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it has it has caught me by surprise a little bit that we've um, sort of not been given as as much respect as, as you'd expect from a team that finished in the top four. Um, I think if I if you know roles were reversed and we'd have and Chelsea had had the season we'd have last season, I, I think we'd see a lot more people predict them to finish in the top four than, than Newcastle. Um, even if you go back to last year, like. Performance-wise, if you look at a lot of, like the shots and touches in the box and shots conceded and all that sort of stuff, Newcastle are up there closer to Arsenal and, and Manchester City than they were to the teams below them. So even if you know, even if you expect there will be some improvement for Liverpool, Chelsea, um, and if you think Aston Villa will get better, uh, even if you think that, you know, they would also take Newcastle to regress as well, which, you know, you're asking for two things there. Obviously, there's some unknowns in the Champions League. You don't know how that's going to go. Uh, obviously, that could cause problems. We, it's an unknown. But, you know, it's it's an un, it's an unknown how Brighton are going to deal with the Europa League. And it's an unknown how Villa are going to deal with the Conference League. But yet, those two teams are still being consistently sort of predicted as higher up the league than Newcastle have. So, um, yeah, it's a little, little bit of a strange one to me. I think Newcastle consistently being very good for 18 months. I think we just continue to get better as a team. Um, this, people, you know, look at the signings we made this summer and think, they, you know, they're not groundbreaking signings. But if if you're trying to build a football team, you're not going for groundbreaking signings. You're you're trying to get players that improve your team in the way you play. I think if you watched the game yesterday, you saw the way Tonali played. He was obviously a big improvement. Um, then we also had um, uh, Harvey Barnes who came on. Uh, got a goal and an assist, and he could easily have, have got a couple of assists, and he just looked like the perfect fit for the way we play under Eddie Howe. Sort of that quick counter attacking, um, sort of high energy, aggressive style. And he looks really good fit for that. And and we saw what he did at Leicester. He always scored goals. He always created created opportunities. So you know, to play the team that creates and just creates a lot of good opportunities, he's obviously going to do well in it. So I think we sort of signed players to that improve us and improve the squad, but they're not just those household names that you think, oh, they're definitely going to win. You know, if, if we'd assigned Declan Rice and, I don't know, if we'd assigned Declan Rice to Moussa Diaby this summer, a lot, a lot of people would be talking about us pushing on, but because we've signed Harvey Barnes and Tonali, they just don't seem to have the same respect, even though, you know, both of them arguably delivered two of the best debuts of the weekend. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. We've obviously got Tino Livramento as well. He's a very exciting young player. So it'd be interesting how he goes. Obviously, add some depth to the squad. And we're, I still expect us to sign at least one more defensive player. So, yeah, I think we've got a, a really good squad. And I think what people sort of don't respect about Newcastle is you you look down the squad and you think, oh, Jacob Murphy, he's not that great. Joe Willock, he has his, he has his you know, periods of good form, but is he really that, is he really a top four quality player? Same with Sean Longstaff. You think, Oh, if they get a couple of injuries, are they going to 
still be able to replicate that form. But a lot of these, I think with, with our team, it, it, the team is great in the sum of its parts. People like Jacob Murphy come in and do really well. Um, Joe Willock was sort of on the verge of an England call-up last year. Same with Sean Longstaff. The players that seem to step up and Eddie Howe just keep, seems to keep improving these players. So, yeah, it's um, I'd, I'd, I'd still be quite reassured that we, we'll be up competing. Um, I think if we finished any lower than six, I think that would be a surprise. Could happen, you know, you know, you have to earn it on the pitch, but it just seems like the players are so laser-focused, the atmosphere is so good. They've just got, so, they're so clear in the way they play. Um, and I think, you know, people get, people get over-enthused about transfers. Every year it's like, who's won the transfer window? Which shiners are going to push a team on? Transfers are one part of playing football. You also have your style of play, you have your academy, your infrastructure, you have um, the dressing room. There's so many parts that feeds into how a team does. Transfers are one part of it. And Newcastle are just a very good football team. And I think people should just accept it. I think maybe the Saudi stuff maybe makes people want to root against Newcastle, which is understandable. But I just think if you just watch what happens on the pitch, like if you, if you watched you watch Chelsea and Liverpool today, or if you watched Aston Villa yesterday or Tottenham today as well, you've watched those teams. It's like Newcastle are just better than those teams right now. It might not last forever. Maybe in a couple of months' time it's different. But right now, Newcastle are just a better team than them. So why are they not being talked about in that way? Just It just it just confused me a little bit. Um, I'm normally a negative fan, but I, <laughs> I, I just watched this team. I've watched this team for 18 months. It's just like, they're just one of the best football teams in the Premier League. So you know, sooner as people start just realising that and accepting it, I think, Probably just the better, although maybe going under the radar is probably better for us. But yeah, I just, I just think we, we are just very still underrated, despite the fact that we've had such a good season. Sure. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then I wanted to wrap up pretty quickly here because I just noticed we passed the hour mark. Um, you mentioned uh, Livermento. How do you imagine him fitting in with uh, Trippier? And also, uh, would you like to advocate a bit more for your ESOC call? Yeah, I think with Livermento, he's obviously a very talented player. He did really well at Toronto when he was sub 18. Had a bad ACL injury. Uh, he's only just coming back from that. So, obviously, some risk there, but the club would have done their due diligence on it. Obviously, seen how he recovered at Southampton. Um, there's sort of a couple of clips of him last season where I think he played with Brighton and was sort of keeping up from his home and sort of defending well against him. So, it's obviously that he hasn't lost his pace. So, I think that it's just a, it's just a, you know, a, a signing to sort of future proof yourself. You get a, a quality replacement for Trippier, a backup for Trippier, who, who you know, he's, he's in his mid-30s, so he's not going to be able to play every game. And if he did get injured, you look at Mankio or Emil Kraft, they're really good enough to, to replace what Trippier offers. Probably not. Livermento probably isn't either, but he's, it's a it's a lower drop-down. And I think the difference with Livermento is, whereas Trippier relies on his passing and his, his movement and the positions he takes up. Livermento is very much a ball carrier, he's a dribbler. He runs. It's, it's a different threat. It's, it's like a different, different profile to having a squad, which I think would be useful at times. That you could probably also come on and play in the same team as Trippier. He could probably play on the wing. Um, there's talk about him playing left back. I don't think he's going to play there, but I could see him and Trippier be, being on the right side at the same time. So I think it's a good signing. And obviously, if he develops at the rate that people expect him to, he, he could obviously become a very, very good right back. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a good signing. The price is a little bit high, but all prices are high in the transfer window, so it's difficult to really get a, get a, get a, get a grasp of what's good value and what isn't. Um, so yeah, I, can, I think that's a, a solid signing. Um, and then yeah, Isaac, I think just think he's a 
he's just a wonderful football player, isn't he? You just watch the way he plays. He's so graceful when he runs the ball. He's got such a gangly frame, but he seems to be so strong being able to push people off the ball. Um, and just the way he finishes and just the confidence he has. He's just, he's he's very just good to watch. So people compare him to Henri. It's, just, it's a late comparison, but you can see sort of similarities in the way they do things. Um, and yeah, I think this year he's going to have a, he's going to have a really good season. I could see him, I could see him being up there. If, you know, Harlan's obviously going to win the Golden Boot unless something disastrous happens. But I could see him being up there in sort of the next two or three. I, I definitely think he's got that in him. Um, and I think in the Champions League as well, I think people, I think he's going to do really well there. So yeah, I'm really excited to see how he develops this season. I think his ceiling's so high, he could go on and be one of the best centre forwards in Europe. Um, and yeah, hopefully he does that in Newcastle. Gotcha. Get him in your fantasy teams. Uh, cool. Oh, well, we were wrapped there. Sorry for the long show. If you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Kev. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not working on anything that everyone's going to be interested in. But uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my at is at doc underscore Joshi. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for having me on again, as always, guys. Um, if you want to read anything about Wolves or if your team is playing Wolves, uh, Joshi, this is really a plug just for you, basically. Um, you can uh, you can go to uh, wolvesblog.com and read. There's a preview up for the the game, and there'll be a report after what will be almost certainly a heavy defeat tomorrow. Um, so there'll be lots of interesting perspectives. So yeah, if you're uh, if your team's playing Wolves or you're a Wolves fan yourself, uh, it'd be great to have you on site. But uh, as always, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, and thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at jakejackman to end as well. Post about anything that that I do or write or podcast though and I'll, I'll post it all there yeah and i'm every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put lifelock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a u.s-based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone all backed by the lifelock million dollar protection package Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on that website. Um, and of course, you can just search EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast clients, although you seem to have done a good job of it if you're already listening here past the hour mark. Uh, but yeah, thanks to these three for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. <laughs>